This is Abstract Factory, a podcast. I'm Mark Wunsch. I'm Casey Kolderep. And we'll be your hosts. For now. This is episode one, Cloud. So right now, it is a drizzly evening Mm -hmm. in Manhattan. Yes. Midtown Manhattan. Sure. And it's Friday. Yes. And I said... Casey, I'm going to create a calendar invitation for which we can coordinate and make sure we meet at the same place. So that sounds really helpful. This way I won't have to set it up myself. If you need to change it, it'll change it on my calendar automatically. Computers, they're great, right? I mean, this is awesome. Sure. So I, I created a calendar event in calendar app on my Mac, formerly known as iCal. Mm-hmm. And I asked you, and I think this is an important part of the story. I asked you, what email address is associated with your calendar? Right, which I thought was kind of weird, but then I was like, okay, I guess it's going to send me a calendar invite. It comes to my email, if that makes sense. So you gave me uh, a Gmail. I gave you my a, a Gmail address, which is where my calendar primarily resides, so I figured that made sense. So, so I add that Gmail address into the calendar invite, and I kind of wait. And nothing, nothing happened on my side. I was almost expecting a, a whoosh sound or mm-hmm. um, the mail app to open up. And I don't use the mail app. I was sort of nervous that you know something would go wrong. But nothing, nothing happened. Then I asked you, did you get my calendar invite? Right. So I went to Gmail and I hit the refresh button like five times. You know, like a calendar invites at work and they come into Gmail and they show up and they, you can hit yes inside your inside your email. And there was nothing there. So I went over to Google Calendar. Looked over at the Friday and I was like, maybe it's the wrong Friday. Double check the date you're talking about. No, there's just so there's nothing. So I I told you there was nothing. Right. So I I tried a few things. I deleted the event and rebuilt it on my iPhone. Uh huh. Um, and tried it there. Nothing happened. I I looked through all of my sort of IMAP settings to figure out you know what email address is actually sending you the invitation. I right. I imagined. Through just, you know, maybe experience, maybe through a false sense of reality, that by adding you and an email address to the invitation field of a calendar invite, behind the scenes, it was sending an email. Sure. But why wasn't it working? And, sure. and you and I took some time to unwind what was happening here. And, and just just to remind our listeners, <laughs> you and I had decided on this. Right. We we could have just written this down on a piece of paper, right. like we're going to yes. meet here to record the podcast and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. But part of working with computers is I have a calendar application that alerts me when I need to go from point A to point B. Yeah. I want to use that to coordinate with you. <laughs> well, obviously. This is productivity. Right. And it's not working. So I did some digging around. I use iCloud to sync calendars between my Macs mm-hmm. and my iPhone, and and you don't. I, well, that's the thing, right? Is that iCloud is a mandatory service that you get as part of having uh, an iOS device at this point. You can choose which pieces of it you want to use. I mostly want to use it so that when I back up my phone, if I have to restore it or if I get a new phone, I just get all of my documents, all of my data, all that stuff just happens. But I don't use it for mail or calendaring or con I don't use it for any of that productivity suite experience. Right. And never have. Yeah. So here's what was happening. My 
Gmail account. I have a Gmail account. It's my personal email address. Most things come into that account. That is my Apple ID. Right. And I asked you, is your Gmail account part of your Apple ID? And it is. Yeah, I mean, that's, it is. So what Apple does behind the scenes, when you create a calendar invitation in iCloud and you add an email address to the event, mm-hmm. the first thing it does, it doesn't send an email. It'd be one thing if it had sent an email to you from my iCloud. Sure. But that's not what it did. Right. What Apple does behind the scenes is it looks to see, is this email address associated with an Apple ID? And if it is, add it to that user's iCloud account. Right. So I told you to go look at iCloud.com, and what did you find? I, I found, First of all, I found a, a beautiful interface I'd never seen before. It looks vaguely like iOS, and it's in my browser on my desktop. It's and nice. I opened it up, and I had seven spam emails and one calendar invitation from Mark Wunsch. Yeah. There's really no way of knowing that behind the scenes, iCloud makes this sort of assumption that, you know, your email address isn't where you want the invitation to go. It's to your iCloud calendar, which it created for you. you you're not requesting it. You're not using it. Right. That's where the invitation goes. Right. Um, which seems like an errant assumption to me. But you can change this. And you can change this by saying, send it as an email. Right. You, you go to the iCloud web interface uh, as the person receiving the invitation, the one who never uses iCloud. You go to the iCloud web interface. You click on the calendar app icon. You hit settings. And then you hit advanced. And then there's a checkbox that says, basically, do the thing that would make sense in the context of someone who has never used iCloud as a calendaring service. Yeah. That preference, Mm -hmm. like you said, is only on the receiver's end. Right. And it's only on the web interface of iCloud. Yes. That preference does not exist on your Mac in calendar.app. Right. It does not exist in the iCloud settings on your Mac. Obviously not. It does not exist in the settings for your iOS device. (laughs) That would be ridiculous. Only the web interface. Right. Which I think... Before this point, you had never used or seen. I didn't know that they had made a web interface. So this is interesting because I think when I think of the cloud, the perception of the cloud is that all of my data, I don't need to store it on my machine. It's up there. I can get it wherever I want from any computer or device I want at any time. (laughs) But whenever you choose a cloud provider, Mm -hmm. if you don't buy in wholesale to what they have, If you don't get the iCloud calendar, mail, messages, reminders, notes.app, if you don't want all of that, something's going to fall between the cracks. Right, like who knows what it's even doing. Like I I wanted one feature of it, and in doing so, something horrible happened. And it's weird because you would think that within the cloud you've created, so to speak, at least that in itself is siloed in some way. You know, my my Google Cloud is kind of a thing, and my my iCloud is kind of a thing. I just, I'm sorry, every time I say cloud, I keep thinking of The Simpsons. The old man yells at cloud on the newspaper. (laughs) What happened here was almost this, like, next level thing that happened where I happened to kind of inadvertently give information to Apple about the existence of my other world by using my Gmail address as my username, essentially, because the username of iCloud is a, a, an email address. And in so doing, created this 
bizarre series of circumstances that we couldn't get it to communicate from silo to silo because Apple just kind of like interrupted the whole thing. If my email address had been anything else, this would have worked just fine. If if it had been if I'd given you a domain name that aliased to Gmail but wasn't tied to my Apple ID, right? I would have ended up with the invite in my Gmail inbox and it right. would have all just worked. Yeah. That's the really strange thing <laughs> is that your Apple ID, which is your email address and password. Right. Just like you have for every other site. Right. All of it takes more all of a sudden there's a hidden meaning to it right. that is not immediately obvious. So first of all, it's like two clouds colliding, <laughs> which I, when I was a kid, I was told that that's what made thunder. Mm. So so maybe thunder <laughs> is, is should be the term when something fucks up on the internet. <laughs> Events disappear. Sure. It's such a ordinary experience, I think, for people who use cloud services, which right. is everybody who's using computers now. I think one of the things that's really interesting about calendaring and sort of these very basic ideas is that all of them are tied to some identifier, mm-hmm. which is usually your email address. Right. And I think online identity is the strangest problem. <laughs> and I think it's what makes cloud computing such that it is really difficult because I have some, you know, I have several email addresses I try to make some arbitrary distinction that this is my work. Mm-hmm. This is for professional. This is the one website I set up that just feeds all that mm-hmm. spam to me. Uh, and the idea that my whole identity is tied to my email address right, is kind of creepy to me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because we both recently made an, a change surrounding our email. Right. I, I think for, I don't know what precipitated it for you. It's funny, because I think that we both changed the same day and then found out two days later that it had happened. So we, we both migrated to fast mail, we should say. Yeah. And I I, I endorse them. <laughs> I mean, I, I think... It's been, what, a week now? Yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a good week, though. Feels good. Feels good. Feels good so far. So... The precipitating event for me, I think, was I, I have been a Gmail user since you had to get an invite, you know, the, mm-hmm. the few months after it came out and everyone was desperate to get one. It was the fastest web email platform there was. It was it had really good search. Um, it was just very desirable. What happened for me was last month sometime, Google added a feature to Gmail whereby you could, by default, email anyone through Google Plus without knowing their email address. Any Gmail user that had a Google Plus account, you could type in their Google Plus name, essentially, which is their real name as required by Google Plus, uh-huh. and you could send them an email, which seemed to kind of mirror like a Facebook message kind of platform, where in Facebook you can do that, and it sends it kind of into this like side, you know, side messages folder that no one ever looks at. Mm-hmm. But with Gmail, it seemed like it was going to allow the first message you sent to anyone to come to your inbox, whether you knew that person or not as the default state. There were changes, there were settings you could flip and all that kind of stuff. But the whole thing just made me nervous. And it, it, I'm not concerned about the privacy situation for me personally, because it's not something I worry about. Luckily, I have that privilege and I have that luck, ultimately. It, I, it's something I want to not support. But ultimately, what it was to me was it felt gross because it's turning Gmail into a messaging platform for Google+. 
and taking it away from being an email platform. And we saw Google Reader go away. And I think at some point, some someone said something about Google removing IMAP support for Gmail, mm-hmm. just like they're removing XMPP support right. for Gchat as it becomes migrated to the kind of closed platform of Hangouts. Right. And that when people said that, it sounded kind of surprising and not, you know, super realistic necessarily. But the more I thought about it, I was like, well, but what if it does happen? What if we do wake up and they say 30 days from now, there's no IMAP support for Gmail? And email is everything, right? We just talked, you know, we said it's basically your identity online. So I figured I needed to fix that. Yeah. Of course, everybody signed up for Google Plus within the like what first week. You know, it was a big oh Google right. Plus, and everybody signed up, and nobody uses it. Right. So now you can email everybody who signs up. Mm-hmm. But I want to address one of the things that that's interesting is that there's this implication that if if you have my email address, mm-hmm. then I am vulnerable almost. Right. That 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 is information that if I did not explicitly publish, you you would have never had access to. But I think. What's interesting about having your identity wrapped up in your email address is that as one service after another service after another gets hacked and email addresses get leaked, Mm -hmm. what is your email address worth anymore? Right. I mean, if you want to have access to someone who has an email address (laughs) to do something malicious, I I think it's quite easy for you to do that. Yeah, it's a good point. I guess, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to not have anyone who wants to harass me that I, that I know of. Right. I don't have that situation. I don't have any concerns about that kind of thing. Also, I don't get a lot of email because I'm not that significant <laughs> or interesting of a person. Um, so it, 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 I don't think about it that way because by, by merit of not getting a lot of email, there's this assumption that I have the potential to be receiving a lot more email. Right. Right. Uh, emails from people who want my attention, people who want to give me money, all kinds of good things on top of the bad things that could occur as a result of mm-hmm. me being a, a known figure on the Internet or anywhere, you know. So, yeah, it'd be interesting, I guess, to find out from people who have attracted that kind of attention, but have, you know, aren't aware of making their email address available to any people online you know, do people find it anyway? Do people get find ways to access you through email? Like, is is the Google thing even that new, or has this kind of thing been happening by people right. finding your email address through other means for years? Do you remember there was a moment on the internet where you put an email address on the web and you were targeted by spam nonstop? And so you had all these things like the Hive Logic encoder. Sure. Like if you were to put an email address on the web, you had to sort of run it through this obfuscation layer mm-hmm. out of fear for your precious, you know, clutching your pearls of oh, my right. precious spam. And I think what's happened is spam filters have gotten so good mm-hmm. that I'll bandy my email address everywhere. Sure. The reason I switched to Fastmail was really because of consolidation, because mm. I have... You know, I got an SMTP server over here. I've got a little thing over here. I had this weird uh, thing going on where, you know, I still have my Gmail account. And in Gmail, there's like a setting to fetch another email address over POP. Right. And then send from another email address over SMTP, which is really strange Mm -hmm. if you think about. And I had that going on. And 
just to consolidate all of these email addresses, I just wanted to find a place to put them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want Gmail to be this the client I used for all emails. So right. I set up a Fastmail account to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, I've been really pleased. The Fastmail interface is amazing. All of this stuff is really just SMTP, IMAP, Postfix, send mail. Mm-hmm. And it's so strange that so many services in the interest of being this bundle, your productivity suite or whatever, mm-hmm. deviate from these very well-established norms. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately because email is so much of my identity and my unique kind of like last pure stand on the internet, as far as where where I can be reached, how I can communicate with people, As more and more things go toward products and not protocols, it felt important to me to make sure that my email was based on protocols and based on these pure platforms and these original things. And now I can use Mutt without worrying about it. Yeah. Do you use Mutt? I I used to use Mutt and I stopped because Mutt with Gmail is not great. Right. Um, Because Gmail sort of deviates so much from IMAP. Right, exactly. But I've gone back to it. I've set it back up with with Fastmail, and I'm using it again. Um, I, To be honest, I do most of my email from my phone nowadays. Right. But if I'm on a computer and I have the chance to use Mutt, it's my preferred email client. Wow. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> Why did you switch to Fastmail and not use Postfix? You know, not use sort sure. of... Um, not build your own personal cloud. Sure, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I do have a VPS. Um, I finally set that up this past winter after kind of saying I was going to do it for a very long time. It's it's there, and I'm using it for a few things. I'm running the Exosaurs high scoreboard at top.exosaurs.info off of my VPS. I'm currently in second place for Exosaurs. It, yeah, it works. It's fine. Um, I'm using Arch Linux and all the package management that comes with that. And already once with my VPS and Arch Linux, I have managed to totally hose my system in a way that it couldn't even boot. And I had to destroy that VPS instance and start from scratch and reinstall everything again. And so that that's the main reason I went with a hosted service that I could pay for. My VPS is not a safe space for that kind of thing. Right. And I need email to be accessible at all times. I, you know, there's a project I think you and I have talked about a lot in the past, which is Alex Payne's Sovereign project. Mm-hmm. So if you go to GitHub and go to Alex's account, AL3X, mm-hmm. you'll find Sovereign. So what Sovereign is, is basically a set of cookbooks to build a machine that is a you know, quote unquote private cloud. Mm-hmm. And it uses Ansible, which is like a configuration management tool similar to Puppet. So you just sort of, you know, run this, it'll install all the software you need for things like email, like calendar, like chat and XMPP and all of the vagaries associated with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we signed up for those hosted things because, first of all, you realize that when you build a private cloud, it's not a cloud. You're building a set of services on mm-hmm. a machine, your mm-hmm. VPS, yes. which is in Virginia, presumably. <laughs> sure. Probably. <laughs> Usually. And that the burden of monitoring and babysitting that machine can be daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, anybody else's cloud is a cloud. But by merit of making it your private cloud, all of the, like, 
wisps get blown away and it's just like a horrifying mess of gears just like gears that should not fit together in any way yet somehow they do until suddenly it all comes grinding to a halt like not only do they fit together and turn they power everything right and yet they're a nightmare horrifying machines hovering in midair um and just waiting to fall right exactly and crush everyone that is not in any way an insult to the work that these people have done or that, you know, that Alex has done as far right. as making it easy to set that stuff up. But then once it's set up, it's almost, you know, like these spinning plates. It's still up to you to keep it moving. Right. Like, the, it, there's nothing that can happen for you to take care of that piece short of using a hosted service, which is why I chose to do that. One thing I wanted to touch on is sync as part of the cloud. It's important for things to stay in sync. Which they pretty much never do. If you think about all the different ways for an application to persist its state, mm-hmm. so you know a client, right, your little iOS app, persists its state to the server, and then another client can come in and read the state. And, you know, pretty quickly you get into the problem of merging conflicts. Mm-hmm. And these things are sort of well-tread in terms of, you know, client-server relationships. Mm-hmm. But it's startling to me that as an application developer, or really just as a user, mm-hmm. that when you want something to say in sync, which basically means you want something to be persisted across the cloud for all of your devices to use, mm-hmm. that you're really sort of at the mercy of a developer. Mm-hmm. And it sometimes is a developer. Mm-hmm. I think about when things wanted to do its sync and, yeah. you know, I think it lost a, a fair bit of market share because it didn't support sync. Right. Now it has sync. There's yeah. uh, Simple Note and Superium. Mm-hmm. So Simple Note um, was, you know, a great syncing note program for a while. And I think kind of quieted down, but I think, you know, it has some really amazing apps now. Mm-hmm. I think it's gotten really good. Right. Then there's Dropbox, which is building a platform to sync. Mm-hmm. I think about app.net, which I think is trying to sort of be this identity data store platform mm-hmm. for a lot of uh, developers. And then recently I was reading, you know, Brent Simmons' blog. So Brent Simmons works on Vesper. Mm-hmm. And he's been blogging about implementing sync. Right. And I think uh, Marco Arment has been tweeting about his own challenges implementing sync for mm-hmm. his forthcoming iOS podcast. podcast app. Both of these guys are, you know, top-notch Cocoa developers. Mm-hmm. You know, Brent Simmons is right. so legendary in that community. But to think, like, how much man hours mm-hmm. have been devoted to solving this problem right is uh, staggering well and it's it's kind of interesting because i don't know how happy you've been with dropbox syncing simple note syncing i don't know how much you've used i mean you said you use dropbox a lot do you have you used simple note much uh, i've recently come back to simple note because yeah. it's it's really good it's really solid and those apps are really polished yeah i think there was a time where simple note syncing wasn't good and i think yeah i think they fixed that and I've recently come back to it as well. And I haven't had any problems yet, but I, I almost kind of live in fear of the recurrence of the problems that I had before where yeah. I would lose entire notes that I had been typing because I made the mistake of typing them in a situation where I had a flaky connection as opposed to no connection or a good connection. And those kinds of things I think are interesting because 
the there's almost like a parallel between what happened with things and what happened with Vesper, I think, mm-hmm. where when things didn't have sync and iCloud became a, a you know a UI or an SDK you could use, it apparently it sucked basically. Yeah. Um. There was you know it sounded like an amazing thing. It sounded so simple and beautiful to users, but to developers, iCloud was bad. As an API, it just didn't really work the way you thought it would. Um, and so things kind of had to defend themselves. People were saying, well, why don't you just use iCloud? Like, you are a Mac-based and iOS-based platform. I, you have iCloud available to you. And they said, we looked at it, and we don't like it. We think yeah. it's bad. We think it's going to be bad for you as our users. Please trust us. Yeah. And and things, the developers of things are kind of like notorious for kind of like saying they're going to do something and then sort of disappearing for a year, a year and a half, and then coming back and saying, we built this. And it's always really good, but mm-hmm. it's just too slow for some people. And I think Vesper, it's been interesting to watch because it's this, it, seems, it feels like the same process. But with someone like Brent Simmons, we get to see what's happening in his head. He's written blog posts about mm-hmm. the problems of syncing. He's, he's even written about iCloud, I think, and about the problems that iCloud as a syncing mechanism create. And so it's almost like we're getting to do this whole thing all over again because Vesper launched without sync, just like things launch without mm-hmm. sync. But this time we're finding out what's actually going right. on and what the real challenges are and why this is so hard. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, for a layperson who is just enjoying the cloud, mm-hmm. the, the promise of the cloud, it seems so strange that so many different people of great talent mm-hmm. have been so flummoxed by this problem. Yeah. And I think no one has been satisfied by any one solution. Yeah. Be interesting to know why that is. I leave it as an open question. This has been Abstract Factory. Go to abstractfactory.tv.